0: Hello and welcome to the strangest gig I've ever played, True Tales, from the studio and the stage. I'm your host, Chris J. Norwood. On the podcast with us today is one Derek Webb. Derek has had a 30-year career in what some would call the quote-unquote Christian music business. Going back to his times in the band Cademan's Call out of Houston, and for the last 20 years as a solo artist, we'll get into why the term Christian music is problematic along with some other pretty amazing stories. So stick around. I hope everyone is doing well. The holidays are upon us. It's the perfect time for sitting around, eating a bunch of food, getting all fat and sassy and listening to your favorite music podcast. So I'm glad you're here. I'm very excited about this episode. It was another one where we had so much great content that we had to split it up into two parts. And this is part one. But before we get into that, just a couple house cleaning things. Number one, if you're not already, please follow us on Instagram. We're at the strangest gig, all one word there. You'll find regular updates to upcoming and future episodes. We're also hoping to get into some other posts about some other strange gigs that maybe might not make it into an episode. If you like me and my music, you can follow me on all the socials at Chris J. Norwood. If you like good old fashioned soul music done in a modern way, I've got a new album that I'm working on called the knockdown drag out that will come out sometime next year, hopefully. So follow along and stay up to date with that. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and you've become a fan over the last year, there's one thing that you could do that would be a huge help that would not be too much trouble for you. And that is just tell a friend. Tell somebody, you know, that you think would get a kick out of it, that would enjoy the stories. Maybe they're a musician who's done plenty of their own strange gigs. And that would really help get the word out and and uh, get this thing growing. I want to give a huge shout out to Erin Anderson with Olivia Management. It's Derek's manager for setting this thing up. She was a huge help in that. You'll be sure to check out the whole team at Olivia Management. They've got some great artists and they're doing some really great things. And now Derek Webb, as I said, started his career with the band Cademan's Call, folk rock, Christian contemporary music band out of Houston, Texas. While with the band, they put out some pretty stellar records like 40 Acres, Long Line of Levers," and the self-titled debut major label album Cademan's Call, which the band is currently in the studio re-recording. And Derek is with them doing that. After leaving Cadman's, Derek began a solo career that, if you were a youth group kid like me in the late 90s, early 2000s, was very provocative and thought-provoking. His albums like Mockingbird and I See Things Upside Down and The Ringing Bell were very formative to my faith and outlook on life. He was also at the forefront of a wave of middle-class, blue-collar musicians pioneering practices like house shows giving away music for free in exchange for email addresses, which he did with his album, Mockingbird. Following that, he went on to start the global online audio and book direct to fan distribution platform, NoiseTrade, helping other artists connect directly to their fan base. Noise Trade was eventually acquired by Pledge Music and is currently owned by Paste Media Group. Derek had so many great stories and insight about what it was like working in the quote unquote Christian music business for the last 30 years. And he gets into why that term is quite problematic. We also get into the story of one strange gig of his that I was actually at, as well as a couple more that were quite funny that we'll get into in part two of this conversation, which will come out later next month. I really enjoyed getting to talk to Derek, so let's go ahead and get into it. Derek Webb, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. I've been a, a big fan of yours for a long, long time, so this is, this is quite oh. a thrill for me.
1: Well, wow! I just thought you had a really cool podcast. I, I thought I might have been coming on totally cold, and you'd be like, "Who is no. this? Who is this guy?" And uh, <laughs> no,
0: I've I've been a fan of yours cool. for a long, long time. So, like I said, it's a it's a thrill for mine. And I'm absolutely uh, well. Let's get into it. Tell me, tell me now about your uh, your current gig, what you're working yeah. on currently, and um, and and yeah, we'll start, start there. there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I am working on a new record. Um, the new record is called uh, "The Jesus Hypothesis." and it's basically just, you know, i mean I, I don't even know where to start. it's like there's either there's either a 5 minute or a 5 hour version of this story, but it's essentially i have made my living for the majority of the last 30 years in what some people know um as christian music. and um that is he not says with air quotes. Yeah, that is not a category that i've ever especially related to or right. found helpful. I don't find most categories helpful I, and um I understand the necessity of marketing categories because they help people in culture to find their way to the things they wish to consume and I think that's a helpful thing to pu- to put a rubber stamp on something and say sure. oh if you're interested in this you might like this but that's not how most people use the term christian anything especially not right. christian music these are the things as you might know from billboards on the highway from uh, for your local christian mu- music uh, radio station that you know this is the music that is apparently safe for the whole family this is the you know that this is like it's advertising some kind of safety security uh, truth, beauty that it cannot possibly uh, represent. And and most often is, is, tends to be, unfortunately, the opposite in many cases because it tends to just kind of follow, uh, lag about, you know, five or six years behind pop music um, Right th- for the majority of its history. And I'm not trying to come down hard. It's just the place where I'm from. It's like the way you talk about your family who you love, but you also know them well enough to know um, all <laughs> the worst parts. And so anyways, yeah. that's what I have spent. Like my, so I was in a band, Cademan's Call, for... Uh, for ten years initially, and then started my solo career after that. I've been in my solo career for like twenty, but wow. I also still do stuff with Cademan's. Like we're actually doing a project right now. We're re-recording our debut record that came out twenty five years ago. Yeah, and, that's uh, and I'm super excited about that. That's yeah, that's it was just a crazy thing that we just kind of realized because we're all still friends. These are this is like yeah. my family. I love these people. I've known them for my whole life, and we realized that our debut record. We put two indie records out in the early nineties, but our first major label record was self-titled and it came out 25 years in 1997. So 25 years ago. Okay. And we realized that that record was out of print. Um, because the Warner imprint that we had done that record with had gone, has gone out of business a long time ago. It got kind of oh, absorbed okay. into the system a long time ago. And so that record, you cannot find it not on Spotify, not out anywhere.
0: Oh really? And wow. no, okay. it's not.
1: It's probably our most popular record, but you can't find it. And so the idea came up, um, since we don't obviously own that record, Warner does, um, but Aaron Tate and I, who have written, wrote all the songs for Cademan's over the years, we own the songs. And so it's like, well, we could do a, we could pull a Taylor Swift and we could just re-record it. Yeah. And, but the band was nervous about that because I haven't played with the band. We have not done, we had not done anything together in 10 years. And um, the band has not been even performing, really doing anything without me even you know for a long time and yeah so we never like broke up but we just kind of stopped working um, after a while and everybody got busy but anyways the band was uneasy about whether or not there would be any demand for this like would anybody care it's been a long time yeah and so we did a kickstarter for it earlier in the year and it really went just super well and it overfunded and people seemed really excited about the idea so we have already done it we have re-recorded our self-titled record and we've started releasing singles. And Where did y'all um, record? We did it here in Nashville. There's a, an amazing studio run by a great friend of mine, Jordan Hamlin, uh, that's up north of town called Moxie. And okay. um, it is just a fantastic, beautiful escape of a studio. And so we got up there. Half the band's in Houston, half the band's in Nashville, pretty much. And so... We all uh, gathered here. We we did that. It came out really well. It's coming out in November. Um, for, did y'all uh,
0: try to do like faithful recreations, or just try
1: to do your own thing, a new thing? Right. That was kind of the big conversation. And yeah. what we wound up doing was we since this is going to be kind of the quintessential version of this record that will exist because yeah. it will be the one. If you go looking ever anywhere from here forward, it will be the one you find. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted there. We wanted to retain the the nostalgic parts like we wanted when you heard the the songs at least a lot of the songs we wanted if if you knew that record if you cared about it if it occupied any space for you we wanted you to hear it and to immediately have those nostalgic feelings of we wanted that to take you back to that part of your life we were we were not afraid in any way of that nostalgia we think that that for us it was really sweet um and yet there are – oh, and Don McAllister, who produced the original version, who's a, a producer in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, who we were just huge fans of, and he produced all of our favorite music, and he was like our moonshot of a producer, and we were able to get him on that record. Yeah. And he did such a good job producing it that the arrangements were just pretty solid. And so there, there wasn't a lot we could really do to improve some of them. They just sounded great still to us. yeah and And then there were others that – we could not in good conscience record the same way again, because we thought they, we just, they were so for us, they just were terrible. And so, and that's not Don's fault. Oh, everything's good about that is Don. Everything that's bad is us. But um, (laughs) anyways, so we were able to, on some of the songs radically reinterpret them. And then others, we were able to just kind of update and, and just kind of bring some fresh energy to, but so I think there's going to be some, both, um, but we're super stoked for people to hear it. We are going to play just a couple of shows, that's but great. just a couple. We're playing, um, two nights at the Ryman auditorium here in Nashville. Um, and then we're going to do one show in Texas, I think in Dallas, but we're like very super limited shows. We're at in Dallas. Um, so That's been a fun project. We're not sure yet. We're still nailing down the venue and the, and okay. the date, um, for that one. Cause that, the, the Dallas show was actually a stretch goal in the Kickstarter. So it happened that's pretty awesome. late stage in the, yeah. in the campaign. So we're still putting that together. But, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm doing that, have done, am doing that. And then I, I guess I got on that rabbit trail to say, um, starting with Cademans and, and kind of sense. that's kind of been what I do It, it, it for a lot of my life, um, spirituality has been part of the grid through which I'm kind of looking at the world. And so you can't, as a songwriter, help but uh, um, write some of that as the fingerprints all over the things that you're sure. writing, just looking at the world to describe it. You're, it's going to come through. And so, um, but in the last 10 years or so, I've gone through what uh, some people call um, a process of deconstruction. Now in Christian circles, at least on the internet, um, that's a word that if you ask 10 people, you'll get 10 different definitions for. So immediately I stop using a word like that um, because it's again, not helpful like most categories, but kind of an audit of all your presumptions about invisible reality, just an audit of those yeah. things. Just see what holds true and rings true and, and over time um, what doesn't. And I uh, you know, I've just gone through some life change and kind of, you know, as you kind of lean your weight onto the things that you believe or that are part of your, you know, your story that you find some things out and you want to be able to kind of hold those and revise those over time. So um, about, uh, almost 10 years ago, I made a record called fingers crossed, which was kind of my deconstruction record. It's kind of, I documented yeah. kind of the, the, that whole thing. Um, um, and, but it's a preoccupation and it's language that I love and know really well. And it's a space I really care about still. And a lot of my friends and family are still, and everybody, everybody is in some proximity to that space. I think, um, yeah. most people are, and, um, at least are aware of it, care about it, are angry about it, have trauma from it. Everybody has a story though. And so for me, having gone through a pretty, um, uh, radical kind of re, uh, deconstruction, you know, kind of a, you know, a hatchet to a thing. I kind of felt like, you know, there's parts of this that I think are good. There's parts of this, I think are God doesn't get everything in the divorce, so to speak. There's parts yeah. of this I think I, I need to bring with me that are good things. Some of it came from the spirituality and religion, and some of it didn't. Some of it I assigned to that, but were mine. And so there felt like there was a more delicate process to go through. And so to kind of go back into where I've been with a hatchet with a scalpel and just to get a little more surgical and to do it in a healthier a place of strength and health as opposed to whatever I did before. And so that's what this new record, the Jesus hypothesis, that's kind of what it that's what great. it is. So mm-hmm. it's, that, that's kind of, that's what, again, that's what I do. I make no apologies about it, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to be your typical, uh, Christian record. Cause I don't identify that way anymore anyway. So that's and what that's I'm working early, on. It's yeah. almost done. It'll be out early next year. So that's kind of plans for a tour. And yeah, yeah. I, I primarily interesting to your, to the, to the topic of your podcast, I primarily at this point play house shows. And that has yeah. been my rhythm for I did, I started playing house shows early in my solo career, like 20 years ago, I started doing house shows and figured out what was special and unique about them. Yeah. And it's only been in the last 10 years or so that I've realized that that for me, um, is really the center of the bullseye for my job description, because I don't make music for everybody. The music I make is not for everybody. Absolutely not. And I'm not here to to try to tell anybody that is. And in fact, it's for hardly anybody my
0: music.
1: And and for those people, it's not even for all the time. I mean, I really do a niche, niche, niche thing. Right. But if you find yourself in that moment, in that spot, I might be the only music for you. And I like music like that. And I like yeah. doing stuff that I know is is going to be not for everybody.
0: Well, and you really, I mean, you said twenty like 20 years ago when you started your solo career, you really mm. kind of were on that very beginning of beginnings of the first wave of how to make a living as a a middle-class musician, blue-collar musician.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And that's always been a preoccupation of mine, you know, and kind of laid the
0: blueprint for a lot of us.
1: Well, thank you for saying that. And I mean, like everybody, I'm just, we're all just kind of trying, we're, we're trying and failing and learning and trying and failing and learning and trying and failing and learning and just putting things together. And that's the process it's been. I just happen to really love that. I'm, I'm like a nerd. I'm also wired more like an artist manager than like an artist. Like I'm way more analytical detail. I'm not like abstract poetic. I'm very detailed and analytical and organized. Mm. And so for me, um, I love applying my creativity to the problem solving of the business, not just to the writing, the recording of the, of the music. And if if anything, I'm, I'm more wired for the, for the former. And so um, that's always been part of my, my story, but I figured out that like how shows for me is perfect because like I think, and here's just a little, just a, just a free of charge, little, little thing that I have (laughs) learned that for my friends who are musicians, yes, we're all in the music business, but I think there's a, there's something beyond that, that I think is valuable to put some real time into figuring out what business though, are you in as a musician, as a creative, as an artist, whatever it is, as a writer, what's your business though? Like what is your unique, your uh, unique perspective and what it, what's your peculiar way that you do it? And what do you bring to it? What soundtrack are you providing for specifically who? How niche can you get? And, right. and what business are you in? And I think there was a point for me, and it's its own story that, that I won't tell now, but when I really learned and figured out what business I'm in and the business I believe that I'm in is the intimacy business. Yeah. Um, what I do when I'm doing it well and it's really connecting, I'm doing to small groups, be it my small group of patrons who I mostly focus on at this point in my career that, that our reciprocal kind of generosity thing we've got going on, get, provides everybody with everything they need. And it's really beautiful and it works and it's fantastic. Yeah. And that's like the tip of the spear for me. And that's where all my intention and focus goes to, Me playing shows in living rooms, you know, never less than about 25 or 30, hopefully, but never more than about 50 or 60 ever Yeah, because that's the scale where I think I do my best work. I can play to a room about that size with no PA and I Um. don't ever use a PA when I play. I play totally acoustic because again... I, in every way that I can tear down every barrier or every middleman between me and the people who are receiving, who, who deeply resonate most with whatever questions I'm asking and songs I'm writing, I need it to go directly to those people. And there's, it kind of speaks to the trust of the situation too, that they know it's coming directly from me through nothing else and just trying to figure out how to apply that ethic to everything, I figured out the house shows. I make the most money doing house shows. I mean, I could explain yeah. to you the 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 the, uh, the business side of why house shows are such a more lucrative thing for me. It's a better ma- uh, use of my energy. Managing my own energy, house shows are better. So, for the, for a long time, you know. So for me, touring, and I've got I've got a family. I have got kids. I've got a thirteen yeah. to fifteen year old. You know. So I can't do, and, and, and they split time between my house and their mom's house, you know? So it's right. like we, we're kind of a, 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 bl- a blended family. You know, like we've got, we're kind of yeah. stretched out across town and we got complicated schedules. And it's like, that's all part of what's beautiful about life at this point. But so I can only play shows every other uh, weekend. You yeah. know what I mean? And so, so I've got to make the most with what I have. And um, and that said, after the first of the year, probably starting into January, I'll absolutely, I cannot wait to yeah. get out back into some living rooms and play a bunch of shows because it's been a minute like for most people. Sure. But, but I just recently got out and played my first shows in forever and went up to uh, Colorado and played uh, two or three house shows. And Oh my God, it was just, <laughs> incredible. I mean, it's just, it was just, it was amazing. I can't wait to get out and I'll play, I'll play a bunch of shows at the beginning of the year for the new record. That's great. So, so do you yeah. ever get, do you ever get
0: the itching to, to play full band anywhere? I sure from I do. you were in Cayman's Call, which is a
1: like a like large a, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, to a by yourself. six piece at our smallest. Yeah. Uh, honestly, 10 years in a six, seven piece band, I couldn't wait to yeah. get out on my own, you know. But that only lasted for a certain amount of time. There's something about like being in a band where you have to load in at like 10 a.m. Yeah. versus I walk into a, an eight, a, a house show where I'm gonna play at eight, I walk in at seven. And so like, that's a whole other deal, but, um, I do miss it. I I never imagined being a solo artist. I've always loved being in bands. I love collaborating. I, I can do it on my own. That has mostly been an adaptation to keep me in the job though. Like learning how to do, uh, everything on my own, on my own, you know, like, so, um, and I have in seasons of my career, depending on the record, I have done, um, when, when records will come out, I will do like a run of full band shows for two weeks or a month or six weeks tops. I'll do some yeah. full band shows, but honestly, like you're just, lo- I'm just losing my shirt on those shows <laughs> yeah, cause it sure. just costs so much money to mm-hmm. feed and lodge and transport a gang of people versus right. me going out on my own. And mostly people don't, when you're a solo artist, this what kind of is m- both great and sucks about it. When you're a solo artist, people don't care. Like they yeah. don't care they won't pay more for the band to be there. and so if I show up by myself, then then this amount of people show up and they'll pay about this per ticket. If right. I show up with a full band and I lay out you know all this money to to put that together, it's the same and so um, it, for me over the years depending on the record, it's kind of been like a if the record really needs it and if it sounds really fun, and I can't resist it then I'll just kind of save up my money and go yeah. and kind of lose a bunch of money for a couple of weeks <laughs> playing songs or playing shows that I think really advertise the spirit of the record. Well, just cause that's like a really fun way to do it. And then I more than make that up the rest of the year while I'm, uh, uh, going out and reinterpreting those songs and arrangements by myself on an acoustic guitar. That's just how it works. So that's great.
0: So I did have one that I wanted to ask you about specifically, mm. a gig of yours that I was at. Oh, wow! And it was around. It was around 2007 because it was right around when the Ringing Bell came out. Okay, yep. And you were. Um, it was at. Uh, I'm. I'm in Dallas currently, from Dallas, okay. Dallas area, and it was at a church, kind of a somewhat mega church ish, yeah, okay, up yeah. north of town. And you were introing your song "Savior on Capitol Hill." Okay, yep. and you were. Um, the crowd was into it. It was a good crowd. You were fantastic, of course. And um, you. you were entering the song and you were you went on uh you went into how about how um you know as Christians, you know, our allegiance is to a higher power, is to a God and not to any sort of national flag or patriotic. And you right. um, alluded to the fact that you know, if 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 your higher power, if God is is urging you not to vote for a certain political party political person, political persona, that that's right. okay. And you don't have to do that. Right. And you got done with that. And a woman stood up immediately about halfway back and started <laughs> arguing with you in the middle yeah. of the concert around Absolutely. everybody Yeah, yeah. and saying, well, my, you know, my son, you know, is fighting in Iraq Yes, to, to you know, fighting for our freedoms and,
1: um, and these rights to vote and, and the and rights
0: the, to whatever. And that's right. I, I found it so fascinating. You handled it so well. Um, she got mad and stormed off, which was her right to do. Uh, but you continued with the concert and sure. played a great concert. So did <laughs> did that kind of thing happen a lot? Oh, yeah. And does it still happen a lot?
1: Um, I can't believe you were there. That's so much fun. Do you um, remember that first of um, all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, you do? Okay. Does, I do. I do remember that night in Dallas. Um, wow. at, but but I But it does happen a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, or,
1: or it has happened a lot. Like that's a yeah. thing. And, and, and mostly because I invite it. I mean, I, yeah. you know, like, as I said, I don't make music for everybody and sure. apparently not for that particular woman, Right. but, um, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Um, because everybody has different opinions and everybody has, that's all fine. But, um, I do remember it. And, um, you know, in, in my career, I've had seasons where some of so I've always said um, that the, the job description of an artist is to look at the world and describe it. That's the job. It's really right. as simple as that. Don't overcomplicate it. Look at the look at the world. Tell us what you see. The, the, the issue is that every variable in that description can and must change over time. So the world I'm looking at is constantly changing. I, Absolutely. as I look at it, am constantly changing. So I can stand in the same place, look at the same thing, 1 two, five, 10 20 years different. Yeah. And I'm going to see something totally different. I'm going to describe it a totally different way. I might not even w- think it's worth remarking about at all. Yeah. Uh you know, and so it's natural, it's expected. It, it, mm-hmm. If if your favorite artist is trustworthy, if they're being honest with you, um then over time, the likelihood that they will disagree with everything they've ever written is like a hundred percent, yeah, and 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 that's kind of great because it yeah. just it's it's a it, especially if you do this job for very long, and so uh, yeah, I remember that night, and I remember so the record before that record, the Ringing Bell, uh, was called Mockingbird, and that came mm-hmm. out in I think two thousand six, maybe, and right. that record was a fairly political kind of record. It was like um, I think I was probably going through somewhat of like an awakening about um, how I would look through the grid of my spirituality at po- politics and the political system and how to navigate that. And right. so it wound up being a fairly political record. The Ringing Bell, the next record still had some of that in it. And so I'd kind of been in that space and kind of got comfortable talking about that publicly for a little bit. And uh and so I remember like when I was touring and this so th- this will go right to right to why we're here but like I remember when I was touring uh Mockingbird and and I have had this bad habit over the years of going – I love going out and playing kind of preview shows before the new record is out but when I'm yeah. done with it. So mm. it's all done but no one's heard it yet and I yeah. book a bunch of shows and people come out and they have no idea what they're in for. Right. And so – and I always have this habit of doing it. I'm about to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm I'm, I'm for sure going to be playing shows before G's Hypothesis comes out and people will have to come in and react live in the room and and maybe people will leave. It's harder to leave a house show because everybody sees you but – yeah. Um, but anyways, so, so, um, a f- just a year before that, um, I was touring mockingbird and I think it was in maybe not Dallas, but I think it was in Texas somewhere that I was playing all the, I was playing a lot of new songs and no one had heard them. And progressively over the night, it was in a small church and I don't only play churches, but, um, right. but back then I played a lot of churches right? and it was in a small church and with every new song, it would thin out, people would leave. <laughs> and I think I started with about maybe five or 600 by yeah. the end of the night. I think I probably had less than 200 in the room. Wow. And I remember after one song in particular, I remember like what must've been like a youth group and their leaders, they were like, okay, that's it. You know, they, they probably felt like <laughs> some some responsibility. And so they sure. like a, a chunk of folks got out and kind of left. And And I remember the end of the night going back and talking to the promoter who was probably like the col- the college minister or something there who yeah. had and he was mortified. He was he came to find me. He was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like I, <laughs> I can't believe this happened. I'm so sorry. And I was like, dude, this is the best night of the tour so far. That was fantastic. Like that's why I do it. Like I'm not yeah. trying to get people to like what I'm saying. I'm trying to get people to listen to what I'm saying. And I like a response. I don't care if it's standing and clapping or standing and leaving. I just like a response. Like that's kind of what I do. That's why I do it. I like to give people things to respond to and to react kind of to that's, that's part of how I write it. That's part of what I've, what I'm doing. And so I love when somebody is willing to lose their cool. And I mean that in a good way to not be so cool that you just sit there, but like to respond, like either get up and run up to the front and put your hands up and dance and clap or get up and, shake your fist and argue with me and run out. But like, I love and respect both of those responses the same. Yeah, that's when, fascinating. But if I'm singing a song that I, I, I have designed to be constructively provocative and people are just right. kind of sitting and looking at their phones, I'm so bummed out. It sucks. <laughs> and house shows kind of keep it from happening too, because you can't yeah. hide out in somebody's living room. You can't hang in the back with a beer in the dark. Like You're right. literally right there in front of me on the couch. Mm-hmm. You have to pay attention. So I love it. Um, anyway. so did you get more, response? have you gotten more responses like that maybe at house shows
0: as opposed to some of the larger venues?
1: Um, you know, I think people feel kind of emboldened in larger venues because you can yell something and then be immediately anonymous. Yeah. Like people kind of look like, where'd that come from? But in a house, not so much. And yet I have had some really interesting responses at some house shows. And, um, uh, I think when I was going through some transitions with some of the content and there'd be. Because I I I've also kind of have a habit of making kind of hard lefts and rights, kind of I'll kind of hard pivot around corners sometimes. Yeah. And so people who were really into the last record or the one before that aren't quite ready for the next one. Yeah. And so they'll still be um and the thing is you gotta hear me say, like I'm so deeply grateful for anybody who gives me their attention for long enough to deeply connect with any song. So if yeah. somebody shows up to one of my songs and their favorite record is my my First solo record, which God knows, you know, I don't know how many years, 20 years ago it came out. Um, and that's not who I am where I'm at anymore, but that's the music they love. That's what they connected yeah. to. That's still a huge part of their lives, and that's what they want to hear, and they call that out. I encourage people every night to call that stuff out because it means so much to me. I, I don't have any problem playing any song. They're all part yeah. of how I got here. They're all part of what makes me me. They're all part of my story. And so I'm grateful for every one of those songs, no matter how I feel about them today. I mainly feel grateful for them if they've connected me to you. Yeah. And so I am grateful for all the songs. Um, but I think that what will happen is people will have connected deeply with a certain season of of work or like a certain record or songs. And then they come in, especially when they ha- when I'm playing a new record's worth of songs they've not heard, which I, again, have a bad habit of doing. And they come in and they're not ready and they feel kind of blindsided. And to be fair, I think I probably do that. And I don't, I I don't take pleasure in it, it, but I can't, I don't keep from doing it. And so sometimes at some house shows, I have for sure, what what house shows do is they don't give you, and that's what I like about them. They don't give you any advantage over the people who are there. You're not higher up than them. You're not brighter than them. You're not louder than them. Mm -hmm. So you're, it's an equal playing field in there. It's just me with a guitar and them on a couch. And so if somebody has, a question or a comment or, um, you know, something they got to get off their chest. They absolutely can. There's nothing stopping a mutiny from happening every night. And that's kind of what I love about it. There's like some electricity about it because you don't know what's going to happen. And there have been nights where somebody will get really upset and they will interrupt and they will start to, and you have to be able to navigate it. You have to be able to keep everyone else in the room from, keep those people from vilifying the one person brave enough to, to speak up and who cares enough to say something about it. You have to kind of make it into facilitate and guide a conversation that gets everybody through it, but also get you to another song at some point. Yeah. Um, And then also like, I think I did that night in Dallas, you know, know what point at which to discern, we're not going to settle this right now. And these other people didn't pay to come watch us have this conversation. So you've had your moment. And I appreciate it. I appreciate you caring enough to say something and you and I can talk more after. And sometimes it will spill out onto the lawn and you wind up having some amazing conversations with, uh, with groups of people. I did go out out to the lobby. I remember that night to find that lady and never did find her, but I was hoping we'd be able to have a conversation. Yeah. I think she was long gone if I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways.
0: All right. That's part one. Part two will come out next month. Second Tuesday of the month. We'll get into some more strange gigs one of which Derek will tell about changed the course of his entire career. It's pretty fascinating and a really great story. So I hope you'll tune back in for that one. In the meantime, please check out everything Derek's got going on derrickweb.com. You can get more information about his new album, the Jesus hypothesis, as well as how to join his Patreon, which I highly encourage you to do. He's got some really great content that he puts out. Please join us for part two of our conversation. And remember, be they strange, terrible, amazing, whatever. A gig's a gig, right?